0: This episode of The Explainer is sponsored by Daft Advantage Ads. Looking to sell your property for the best price? Daft Advantage Ads will maximize your chances. Welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Laura Byrne, and this week, what's going on with TikTok? Now, unless you've been living under a rock in the last few years, you'll have noticed the meteoric rise of TikTok. The video sharing platform has amassed over one billion monthly users since it was created in 2016 by the Chinese company ByteDance. Despite being one of the major global players in the social media space, TikTok has been caught up recently in a political storm due to accusations that ByteDance is linked to the Chinese government. As a result, officials in several Western countries have been instructed not to use the app over concerns around TikTok's use of data. Last week, its chief executive, Sho Chu, appeared before the US Congress to address the allegations, which he strongly denied. So today we're asking, Is TikTok merely a fun app or are there genuine concerns here? And to look at all of this, I'm joined by Chris stokel Walker, a UK based tech reporter who wrote the book TikTok Boom, China's Dynamite App and the Superpower Race for Social Media. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Laura. Now, Chris, for someone coming to this with no knowledge of TikTok, how would you describe it?
1: Yeah, the, the the one person who is is coming out from under their rock. Uh, I, I guess uh, it's kind of a little bit like YouTube, a little bit like Instagram, but then also nothing like either of them. So it is a short form video app, which is the thing that it shares with YouTube. Uh, it is kind of uh, a little bit aesthetic wise like Instagram, uh, but also slightly different because you open up the app and rather than kind of having to opt in to watching certain things or clicking on certain things, you are thrown headlong into an endless stream of videos. So full screen, vertical immersive videos that start immediately. So there's no play button. You just kind of flick through it and see the next one. Uh, And that is kind of what TikTok is. Those videos are generally shorter than they would be on on YouTube. Something like 15 to 60 seconds is the average, although you can go quite significantly longer, up to sort of 10 minutes or more. Uh, Some people could even go further than that, depending on what access they have to the app, and and the content there is completely varied. You know, it is kind of you know walking into your your favorite cinema and seeing everything playing simultaneously. You can kind of uh, pick out whatever you want, and the app also shows you content um, that it believes you're interested in based on an algorithm, essentially a piece of computer code that tries to understand your interests based on your habits on the app and then shows you more videos like it. So, you know, some elements of kind of links to predecessors, but then also this is an entirely new paradigm in many ways.
0: So it's obviously been working in a very busy social media space. Obviously, you mentioned YouTube there. So why do you think TikTok has become so popular
1: Yeah, I think there are probably two reasons why. One is that algorithm that we mentioned, which is the thing that kind of separates it from every other app. Um, Traditionally on social media, we've had what's called uh, a social graph based uh, set of rules that dictate what kind of stuff we see. Uh, So if you think about Facebook, you you often see on your Facebook homepage stuff that friends of yours have engaged with. And that is how they serve you content. Uh, TikTok does something slightly different, which is the social graph becomes the content graph. And that is based purely on your engagement, uh, your habits, your personal interests, which means that my TikTok feed will look significantly different to yours, will look significantly different to all of our listeners. And each one of those will individually be different in their own ways based on Essentially, reflecting their their habits and their interests, so that is the thing that is slightly different. Uh, you know that in the algorithm, kind of, I suppose, uh, change what it is that makes this tool so powerful. The other reason I think that it became so popular is timing. You know, it is not coincidental that, as you mentioned, this this app was developed twenty sixteen, kind of became hugely popular twenty seventeen. Uh, you know, around the world, kind of burbled under for a little bit. And then 2020 hit. The pandemic happened from sort of March 2020. We were all sat at home looking for entertainment. We kind of used up our, our Netflix back catalogue, completed it essentially, um, and we went to TikTok. Uh, you know, in in March 2020 alone, users on TikTok spent as much time in the app combined as there has been time between now and the Stone Age. Yeah, that is kind of an indication of quite how popular this thing became. So algorithm, then pandemic. So right place, right time, but also with the right tool.
0: Yeah, really timing is everything, isn't it? But it's not just dances and lip syncing, really, is it? There are more serious and nuanced bits of content there.
1: Yeah, people have started to become essentially educational creators. You can learn about science. You can learn how to put up a shelf. Uh, You know, there was certainly a point at which this was um, you know, living up to the stereotypes. Um, but you know, I've interviewed, uh, you know, people who were in their 80s, who have recently turned 90, uh, who are big creators on TikTok, as well as I've interviewed 16, 17, 18 year olds who, you know, are, are equally popular. Um, you know, the, the idea is that this is kind of the, you know, the world stage and, and everybody can be on there regardless of what they want to produce. And, and so you see just everything. You know, and this is kind of what's so fascinating about TikTok is um, you know, because of the way that the app works and because it is so heavily targeted at you alone based on that content graph aspect that we talked about earlier, Um, every person's TikTok is different. And so you have these kind of really strong micro niches. So if you are someone who wants to learn how to cook through TikTok, you can. If you want to watch the dancing, you can. If you want to learn about 17th century, you know, European history. You can. There is literally everything on there.
0: I mean, they haven't necessarily reinvented the wheel, but they've obviously done things very differently, as you say. But just how much has TikTok changed how we consume content online overall?
1: Pretty significantly, because we, yeah, we have traditionally on social media had this idea of so-called second screening, um, which is that we kind of. Yeah, we either use social media in accompaniment to kind of you know traditional media, so you're watching TV and then commenting on it on Twitter or Facebook, or you are using social media primarily and then kind of have a distraction in the background, or you know, a combination of both. So sometimes you know I will get distracted by Twitter while reading the newspaper. And that's kind of you know an element of this. With TikTok, because it is full screen, because it is immersive, it becomes much more. All-consuming, essentially. So you can't really escape it. That's I think what makes it quite so um, so different compared to, to what's gone before is this idea of you know, once you you've, you're in there and they've got their talents in you, it's very very hard to escape. And and so that's kind of one way that it, it changed content. The other way is that. It doesn't just allow us to kind of consume content anymore um you know there's a, a consume and then create or remix elements that is quite strong with TikTok, and that's because of the combination of kind of improved technology the fact that we will have you know pretty souped up smartphones with decent cameras that are pretty passable uh compared to maybe even three four years ago and also the fact that you know the app has these really quite strong creative tools where you can you can produce a a relatively passable professional standard video in a matter of minutes even if you never really know how to turn on your computer it's kind of amazing in that way
0: so obviously it's got a captive audience and as you say it kind of holds that attention can you tell us how has it been linked to harmful content and what has tiktok done to address this
1: we talked obviously there about the idea of kind of creation uh, as well as consumption, and um, yeah, one of the risks with that is that it can be very, very easy to mimic stuff, and, and that's kind of what is the cultural currency on TikTok often: these hashtag challenges or the idea of kind of remixing something that you see, putting your own spin on it, and then resharing it. Um, and so, yeah, we've we've seen successive controversies hitting the news over kind of particular challenges around tiktok um you know it can be some that are legitimate some that are kind of amped up um and maybe overplayed a little bit but you have for instance, people who have consumed Tide Pods, which are kind of like washing up uh, liquid uh, cleaners for for your clothes in, in washing machines, which was kind of you know, one element of this. Um, the, you know, down to in the UK recently, we had um, a spate of kind of Les Misérables style uh, school strikes where where you know, uh, pupils were kind of barricading themselves in toilets and, and things like that, which which primarily spread through TikTok, because what happens is one person posts a video of it. Because of the way the algorithm works, it, it kind of gets sent out to a huge number of people who have similar interests. They see it, they go, oh, we could do that. And, and, and so then they do. So, you know, harmful, uh, you know, in, in lots of different ways. And um, there are some that are kind of useful harmful, you know, I, I don't think... Uh, children necessarily rebelling against what they see as overly draconian rules are necessarily any issue. Although, you know, my pe- my mum, who was a, a primary school teacher, will probably kill me for saying that. Um, but then, you know, there are those that do real world harm. Um, and, you know, uh, we had the Tide Pod Challenge. There was another one, which was the milk crate challenge uh, a few years ago, which was essentially challenging people to try and get up a, stand up a, a pyramid of milk crates uh, and then walk across them. And obviously, um, I think there were some concerns that, you know, falling off those could cause quite a few problems broken bones so yeah big big changes in terms of like how we're encouraged to partake in this stuff uh, and that means that uh, it's often quite challenging for us
0: so chris a hugely successful app now with a big captive audience and lots of money to be made can you tell us who owns tiktok
1: so tiktok is um a company that has a essentially a parent company structure with a firm called ByteDance, um, and this is kind of where the interesting uh, elements go on around this kind of China link. In the introduction to this podcast, you mentioned obviously um, you know, TikTok was kind of initially developed in, in China, and um, what's really fascinating is the way that TikTok kind of tries to not misrepresent that, but to to kind of downplay that in, in, in some way by essentially saying that ByteDance is a, a company that is based in the Cayman Islands. Which is quite fascinating when you think about it because the Cayman Islands is, is a kind of known low tax, no tax regime. So, you know, TikTok deems it preferable to say our company, ultimately, its ownership is based in a known tax haven rather than in China, which is, you know, bizarre to me, but always quite interesting and funny. Um, so, TikTok is owned by ByteDance. ByteDance is um, nominally headquartered in the Cayman Islands, uh, but technically is based in Beijing. It is kind of sort of like an equivalent of Google, essentially. ByteDance is across lots of different areas, has many different apps. You know, TikTok is not the only one that it has in the West. It has a, a video editing app called CapCut, which is available in the West. It has a kind of Chinese version of TikTok called Douyin, which predates TikTok. It has... A news app called Toutiao. Lots of other areas that it's involved in productivity. So there is a Slack-like app called Lark. It also sells its uh, algorithmic details on a sort of business-to-business basis, um, both in China and across the West. So this is a huge, sprawling company with kind of you know hundreds of billions of dollars of revenue every single year behind TikTok, which is always interesting when it's kind of presented as the the overnight success or the, the little winnow, the kind of, you know, David versus the tech Goliath, because actually it's pretty much the same thing.
0: And we know that China has has really strict controls on some social media apps. Is TikTok available in China?
1: No, so um, there are two kind of parallel apps which are similar in many ways, but different in, in kind of some key ways. So we have TikTok in the West, in China, there is an app called Douyin. Um, now, Douyin, on a sort of very crude simplification, uh, which does overlook some some kind of key elements, which I'll, I'll get into in a second. Uh, whatever you see on Douyin in China, in terms of features or structure or format or presentation of the app, is likely to be replicated on TikTok on a sort of six to nine month lag. Uh, and that is just simply because Douyin has been around longer. It has a more established user base. ByteDance feels more confident knowing what those users are interested in and therefore that success can be replicated elsewhere. There are some differences, um, not least in the type of content. You know, we, we can't overlook the fact that these are two very different uh societal systems with different approaches to kind of free speech and what is uh, acceptable content so for instance if you went to douyin in china and opened it up you would have an additional tab on tiktok so you have the for you uh, feed on tiktok and then a few others if you went to douyin there would be an additional one called the positive energy tab which is essentially just promoting Chinese state propaganda, which is a kind of requirement uh, from the country. Um, On TikTok, you don't have that, because obviously that would be quite a a big red flag if they were posting uh, Chinese state propaganda. But generally, these apps are uh, relatively similar. They do have kind of different code bases, different people overseeing them, but there are kind of shared elements to them at their core.
0: Selling your property? Ask your estate agent for a Daft Advantage ad today for maximum visibility, best results and best price for your property. So obviously a lot of intertwining connections there, but when we look at the growing concerns over TikTok now and privacy, how it processes data, when did these first emerge?
1: Yeah, so I mean, there's been quite a a significant drumbeat of this um, throughout the last few years. Um, so, you know, we we have seen uh, concerns around sort of user privacy, user data going to China, pretty much ever since TikTok became a thing in the West, because we we've known since its founding that it was a company with with Chinese links, an app with Chinese connections. So, um, you know, I think probably the time when it first really came to a head was. Uh, Well, there was a a settlement with TikTok and the Federal Trade Commission in the United States in the late 2010s, shortly after it kind of became a a big thing, which was actually not related to TikTok. It was related to um, a predecessor app that they purchased and merged into TikTok called Musical.ly, which had kind of been mishandling uh, children's data. Uh, as a, a kind of matter of course, um, which uh, is, is kind of worth noting. You know, YouTube has been fined for similar issues. Um, uh, big tech platforms don't necessarily have a, a very, very good track record with keeping child data safe. But then the kind of big spark point, I think, was probably 2020 when when Donald Trump was um, pursuing re-election in the United States as president. Uh, he kind of you know, honed in on TikTok as um, a kind of useful wedge issue for him, um highlighting the idea that potentially TikTok could be spying on its users, um, alleging kind of mass data transfers over to China where where Communist Party spies would be hoovering up uh user data uh and, and kind of suggesting that TikTok accedes at will to any requests by the, the Chinese Communist Party to to kind of give over any data. Um, back then as now TikTok denies that it's ever handed over user data to the Chinese uh, state. Um, Ironically and weirdly, the Chinese state, in what I think is a pretty unprecedented move, came out in late March and said, we've also never asked TikTok for any data, uh, which is a very unusual thing for for a Chinese state to feel like they have to say that. And and there is no evidence um, of that. I've been trying very, very hard to find that because I, I quite like the idea of breaking that news um, and have lots of contacts within ByteDance and TikTok and haven't been able to to find any evidence of that. Doesn't mean that it's not happening, um, just means that we can't prove it.
0: And how did the allegation of a link between TikTok's Chinese owners and then the Chinese government come about?
1: Yeah, I think um, it's, it's very difficult to disentangle what are kind of two parallel issues here. So one is we have concerns around social media's usage of our data, which is a very, very valid concern. Um, you know, We hand over huge volumes of information to these apps, which are privately run companies based for profit, and essentially allow them to do with it what they wish with, with very light touch regulation that is often kind of you know, three to five years behind best practices within the sector. So that is kind of one plank of our concerns. The other plank of our concerns is that China is a terrible country um, with a a kind of dictatorial leadership that ethnically cleanses large parts of its country, suppresses the rest of them under kind of totalitarian rule where you can't have free speech, you can't say anything against the state, you can't have free expression, you can't leave the country without um, essentially the permission of the Chinese state in, in some instances. Um, you those two things are, are both equally valid concerns. Um, what seems to happen is that there is a kind of intermingling of, of the two where we see issues with data writ large across big tech. We see issues with China and its kind of growing position in the geopolitical sphere and you know, uh, appearing to be on the wrong side of history in, in multiple ways, not least with its kind of recent cozying up to, to Vladimir Putin in Russia. Uh, over the Ukraine invasion, and we we kind of conflate the two. So we say TikTok must be an issue because it is a big tech company. Big tech companies gather lots of data. TikTok has links to China we don't like. China, therefore, TikTok is doubly bad. Um, when actually, it's not really the case that that either of those things can be mixed. They're kind of a yeah, you know, they're kind of both positive ends of the magnet, which should, in theory, kind of bounce off each other, but seem to be kind of pulling together.
0: I know you're saying you yourself would love to be able to prove if there were issues here, but is there anything from a tech point of view? I mean, does TikTok capture more data than other apps? You say it's very geared towards the person at the end of the line. Maybe there is some sort of an issue there.
1: It it, it gathers more data in the sense of we consume and engage with more of it over a given hour than... A YouTube or an Instagram. Um, but it doesn't gather more data in the sense of the actual types of data. So, you know, if you think of yourself as, uh, and, and sadly, this is kind of how big tech thinks of you, if you think of yourself as an individual made up of 100 separate data points, so your gender, your sex, your age, your location, your sexual orientation, your race, your your um your education your your interests each of those is a data point and you know, if facebook if meta the parent company of facebook if instagram if if twitter if if snapchat collects you know 35 of those data points tick tock generally collects around about 35 as well what is the difference in the step change here is over the course of an hour on youtube particularly if you kind of watch the YouTube videos that I do, which are incredibly long, incredibly boring ones, you might only watch one single video. And so the data that uh, YouTube can glean from you over that hour, even if you watch six 10-minute videos, is going to be less precise about you than it will with an hour on TikTok, where you might in an hour on TikTok watch 60 or 240 or 300 videos. And each one of those videos builds up an image of kind of your interest. So I think, you know, again, it's it's one of those interesting ones where we've diagnosed correctly an issue, but we've kind of misdiagnosed the source of it. We've diagnosed correctly that we get a lot of data handed over from us to these platforms. and, And TikTok does collect more data in that way, but I'm not sure ever that TikTok knowing That you are interested in a specific type of shelf bracket to put into your DIY uh, is more useful than knowing that you like putting up shelves that you would have on YouTube essentially.
0: So in some quarters, politically, they'll suggest that it's a massive spy tool. And then in others, they they think that maybe it's more about Chinese soft power, isn't it? I mean, U.S. congressional hearings last week, we saw the CEO having to account for the company. Uh, there is, do you think, valid concerns in political in the political arena or is this about global political moves?
1: There are valid concerns about China. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I just I would love to see the evidence that TikTok is a is a concern, um, and I have been asking people, uh, who, including these politicians, including the European Commission, when they banned TikTok from governmental devices, including the UK government, when when they did something similar, and and nobody has come up with it. I, I, I listened to uh, that congressional hearing with interest because I thought, ah, this is going to be. The moment that they pull the rabbit out of the hat and they say, This is the connection with the Chinese state, this is how you know the data is collected, this is how it's used. And you know, I'm not naive enough to, Im- to know that, um to, to imagine that security services would hand over precise information of that because that helps your enemies. Um, but at least at a high level, I would have expected them to say, This is what's happening, this is kind of the data transfer processes, these are the 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 valid concerns and the evidence-based concerns behind why we have made these pretty drastic decisions over the last few weeks. haven't had that. Um, Again, could be that they're just refusing to hand it over, but I think that we're at a point now where there is a a real concern around kind of pursuing an almost Chinese-style model of we forbid things to exist simply because we don't like them and you have to trust us when evidence to the contrary would show that we shouldn't trust governments in historical basis.
0: How damaging, Chris, do you think this could be for TikTok? I did hear an influencer recently say, I don't care if they take my data, I'm having a great time, this is a great space. Is there just a willingness there by the end user to say, well, the trade-off is okay?
1: I think I think um, for end users, it, I think it will split very definitively along kind of generational lines and, and whether you've really used TikTok and engaged with TikTok much. For those who have, I think probably they will just be more firmly entrenched in the idea that politicians don't know what they're talking about. Uh, it's interesting that influencer, is that's a, a concerning <laughs> approach for them to have because we absolutely should be worried about kind of you know, our data and kind of how big tech companies use it. And I don't think we should throw in the towel yet. And, and regulation is important. We need it. I'm I'm a tech skeptic tech reporter, but um, I'm kind of a, a tech skeptic tech reporter across the whole of big tech, rather than just kind of pursuing hobby horses uh, based on seemingly trumped up evidence. I think that uh, those who already like TikTok will probably not have their minds changed and they think that this is a, a trade-off that even if we're true, and there's no evidence that it is, that um, they would be fine with that. I think those who already kind of um, were skeptical of it, you know, the the kind of folks who will watch Fox News and things like that will be still very happy with the idea that they distrust it. Um, Three quarters of US users um, uh, were already skeptical of TikTok and kind of supported the idea of a a governmental device, so I think that they will uh, be further entrenched in those views. For the kind of middle ground, um, I'm not sure. It's difficult to say because ultimately, if they consume the hearing through traditional TV, then all they will hear is Congress people sound bites attacking TikTok. If they consume it through TikTok, they'll hear the opposite, and that's kind of the the marvel of our modern media landscape, where social media and traditional media can often kind of you know be completely different echo chambers.
0: Of course, I know if you'd speak to someone under the age of 20, Chris, they are likely to tell you that they get most of their news from TikTok, which I guess is an interesting development. When we look at giving away our data in the online space, it is hard, though, to explain to the end user that it's not just about you and your personal data, it's about the collective. So what everyone in the UK thinks today, what we're thinking in Ireland or the US at any one point, that builds a picture.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately it has been. And I, I think I get I get the... I get the concerns around the aggregation of data and the idea that you know collectively this is useful data because, you know, frankly, we live in a post-Cambridge Analytica world. We live in a post-Donald Trump world. We know about state-sponsored election interference and we know that those wedge issues are being pursued and kind of needled at to try and divide us. I just don't think that that is an issue that the Chinese state would feel worth pursuing through TikTok because those kinds of aggregated population level bits of information that you can glean from us all are also shared on instagram they're also shared on facebook and and here's the big secret you can buy that data um and that's kind of you know so by pursuing this and going we must ban TikTok because this is an issue and this is a concern even if it were to be true that you know the chinese state is hoovering up this information um if we did that they would they would just go into the open market and buy it anyway and, and probably add a sort of equal standard of granularity or kind of you know detail about all of us so it, it's kind of a, a tricky one where i think yes we should be wary of it but also this is kind of being the norm for you know 15 20 years now i don't i don't think we can you know shut the door once the horse has bolted
0: now Chris, maybe it is then a bit more about soft power and influence than other concerns around data. If we look at ourselves then as end users, is there anything we can be more mindful about in terms of the use of that data? You need to be, I think, on top of it every day, don't you?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's things like don't use your your real name on social media. Try not to link profiles. Uh, you know, you can usually wipe your data from these platforms. Lots of people don't know necessarily how to do that. They, they kind of don't realise... Uh, what's involved and they kind of get dissuaded because it's often behind kind of multiple uh, button clicks and hidden menus and things like that. But, you know, we should, you know, we should A, be kind of at an individual level taking more ownership over our data and responsibility over it and kind of, you know, building a little informal wall around it and saying, no, you can't come in, you can't have this. Um, and at a societal level, we should be pressuring you know, our, our politicians, our legislators and our regulators to kind of step in and, and try and make some of the, the hard yards on this because it is an issue. And it's one that I think we are lagging behind on. Uh, it's just I think we need to do it for everybody, not just for TikTok.
0: So in terms of influence then, is TikTok any different to Meta and Google and Twitter, which I think we've kind of acknowledged now they're part of a wider tech group that need more regulation?
1: In terms of its societal and cultural influence, um, it is becoming more powerful. I think that this is one of the interesting wrinkles behind the the potential of a, a sort of nationwide ban in the US. Um, you know, Hollywood and the music industry, I think, would be very wary of that because ultimately they're kind of being propped up at the minute by TikTok. It, it is a huge shaper of cultural tastes and interests, and um, It's enormously powerful in in doing that in the same way that, you know, Facebook used to be. Um, But then we do have this historical precedent of these platforms tend to come and go in cycles. And so at the minute we are kind of living in TikTok's world, but we always have to bear in mind there's always another thing coming around the corner as of yet that hasn't necessarily arrived. So, you know, when I was writing uh, my previous book on, on YouTube in 2019, that was in the, the sort of supremacy. That was dominant. That was the thing that shaped our tastes and and you know, uh, kind of was the center of conversation. And I, I was looking around as I was finishing that book for the thing that might be the next challenger. And around about that time was TikTok becoming a big thing. Uh, and so I mentioned that in the book. When I got to the same stage in in writing my book on on TikTok in in twenty twenty one, I did the same process. I looked around for the challenger. As of yet, I hadn't found it, and I still haven't seen something coming that is going to replace it yet. But it will. You know, these things always do. And so, I think um, you know, TikTok is shaping our culture now but it doesn't mean that it'll shape our culture in 2024. It doesn't mean that it's going to permanently alter how we work and live and play and interact. I think you know, we can get so het up uh, in in the kind of the geopolitics and the, the kind of shouting and, and the clamour of, of politicians who you know, really feel strongly about this that we can often overlook this is a thing we can delete from our phones if we want. This isn't a thing that is going to stay here forever it's not the the blob that just you know sits on top of our society forevermore you know something else will come along and that probably won't be tiktok and it probably won't be chinese so we don't have to worry all that much about
0: it okay that's amazing thanks for all of this chris uh it really does seem that the political storm i think around tiktok is a reflection maybe of a wider conversation needed around data and how we engage with social media chris Walker, thanks for joining us today This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by Daft Advantage Ads. Looking to sell your property for the best price? Head to www.advantage.daft.ie today for more info on the best way to sell your home in Ireland. Thanks again to Chris Stokel walker for joining us today. You've been listening to The Explainer podcast by thejournal.ie. This episode was brought to you by producers Eva Barry and Nikki Ryan. And we'd just like to say a massive thanks to the lovely Eva who's leaving us this week. She's been a brilliant producer of The Explainer and Eva, we will miss you dearly. If you'd like to support all the work we do here, head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to make a one-off donation or become a monthly subscriber. And of course, you can always leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks,